Thank you for listening to the Martinis and the Macabre podcast. This show contains graphic content and explicit language. It is intended for immature adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. to do something earlier this week that as a nurse I've never had to do before and might never have to do again. Is this Wait, I think I know where you're going. Yeah. So uh just got to work one morning right at the sunrise time of 6:30 in the morning. Get a call saying they need a nurse down in our mental health section of the prison. And I'm thinking, okay, Somebody just needs to be assessed. Somebody's doing something weird, something crazy. And I'm like, all right, I'll be down there in a minute. And they're well, like, you're not wrong. True. But he said, well, do you know what's going on with so-and-so? And I said, no, I just was told you guys need a nurse. He said, well, he's got his arm stuck in a toilet. <laughs> and I said, um, hmm, how do I say this without sounding totally bitchy? You know, I didn't want to say just... What the fuck do you want me to do? I was like, um, how are we supposed to fix this? I'm not a plumber. <laughs> they said, well, we need you to come down and assess his arm and make sure he's got a pulse and everything. And if we can't get it out, then we'll have to, you know, start talking to management and stuff about getting someone in here. Okay. So I had to go down to mental health to pull a man's arm out of a toilet. I mean, and it was in there really in there, like a good several inches up his forearm in there. And, uh, did my assessment and I was like, okay, we're going to pull. And I was trying to pull, I have gloves on, but there's water overflowing everywhere. We're stepping, thankfully it was clean water. He hadn't used the toilet before he stuck his arm in. So that's good. You got that going for you. Yeah. That's great. But I just, I couldn't get a grip on his arm because everything was wet. So I was like, genius moment. Get me a towel. They brought in a towel and I slung it under his arm like a sling. And just with one quick pull, it was out. Just like that. And I said, if you guys get any more arms stuck in toilets today, don't call me. And they were like, no, we're only calling you because you did that like it was nothing. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that's how my day started that day was... Freeing a man's arm from a toilet, which I didn't even know I would have to do as a nurse. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. I mean, it's not a toe falling off in your hand, but... Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and that's how your day started. Yeah, that the rest of the day was pretty shitty from then on out. So, uh, at least I got to come home and talk about how I freed a man's arm. <laughs> Felt like I did something that day. I felt accomplished. Not all heroes wear capes. Yeah. I didn't know I'd have to be a plumber. Yeah. I mean, you learn to be a lot of things as a nurse. You learn to be a contortionist. You learn to be a counselor and a sympathetic ear. Never a plumber. You learn to experience with butt stuff. But that's more between me and you. Whoa. Well, you were a nurse. Uh, huh. What? I relaxed. I took deep breaths. I didn't like it. 
<laughs> you took a twisted turn on this. Yeah. All right, guys. Welcome to Martinis and the Macabre, the podcast where we drunkenly discuss morbid murders, mysteries, and mayhem. My name is Erica. I'm joined by my husband and co-host, Billy. I'm Billy, and I'm co-hosting the fuck out of this. He is. He hasn't taken any arms out of toilets this week. Knock on wood. Yeah, what are, what are you doing with your life, huh? I yelled at a customer. I felt pretty good about that. Why did you yell at a customer? So we got these new registers that are touchscreen and scanning and, and all that stuff, all computerized and stuff now. And it's not where I take your card and run your credit card. You do it now. There's a little thing there, just like at Walmart, you know, you do it. Everybody who has any fucking shred of common sense knows that if your card has a chip, you put it in there and you don't touch it. And just do what the fucking machine tells you to do. And then, as we all know, it will then proceed to scream at you to get your card out of there. Which is, I don't like at all. It's like, insert card. Alright, is this amount okay with you? Okay. Take it out, take it out, take it out, take it out! And you're like, fuck! <laughs> you ever notice that? Mm-hmm. You're like, okay. So... She is staying there. And, oh, okay. Well, you know, fuck it. She's staying there and she's like, this machine sucks. And I'm looking over and she's jamming the card in there, in, out, in, out, in, out. So every time that happens on my screen, it says card pulled too soon. Card pulled too. And you have to start all over. Mm-hmm. And I was, and the whole time she's like, this thing is stupid. Your machine sucks. Is this going to lock up my card or something? And the whole time I'm like, ma'am, if you could... Okay, no, just if you could listen, all, all you need to ask him, fucking stop. <laughs> and then she looked up, I said, just hold it. Just hold it. And I tapped the screen, I said, okay, take it and put it in the machine. And she I said, okay, back away. Don't touch it. Step away from the card. Push Visa credit. <laughs> okay, sign. Just use your finger. I don't care. And I was like, and now that sound. Take it out. Now put it away. I said, that's it. Don't go anywhere else today with that thing. <laughs> and then she was like, okay, thanks, bye. I shouldn't even care. I was like, God, I've never seen anybody do that. It's always put the card in, don't touch it. Yeah. So, and I, doesn't it give you a prompt saying that you removed it too soon? Yeah. Trans- it'll say like transaction canceled or some shit like that. So she just can't read. She's as dumb as a bag of hammers. She's a dullard. Yeah. As we like to say. All right. Big bag of stupid. <laughs> dumb, dumb, dumb. <laughs> All right, let's get this thing rolling. So, of course, thanks for joining us for the second half of I Am a Man, which is the story of serial killer Carol Edward Cole. Sorry we had to leave you hanging there when the murder started picking up, but we just couldn't fit all of his evil craziness into one episode. So if you missed the last episode or if this is your first time listening... Go back and listen to part one, which is actually the mild half of his life. Actually, do it now. We'll wait. We love our listeners, and our listeners are like family to us, and they'll understand. Hey, guys, they're going to check out the the one before, so just hang tight. Hold on. Yeah, I'm tired of waiting now. All right. So, yeah, the first half was the mild part of his life, because in this episode, things will ramp up big time. When we left off, Carol had just disposed of the body of Essie Buck, a woman that he strangled to death after they spent the night drinking in a tavern. He put her in the trunk of his car and woke up the next morning feeling absolutely nothing about what he had done, which is the scariest kind of murderer, in my opinion. 
Two days after killing her on his 33rd birthday, May 9, 1971, he disposed of her body. Years later, after Carol was caught, he confessed to murdering another woman just two weeks later. He only knew that her name was Wilma and said he strangled her after spending the evening partying. He claimed that he buried her in the foothills outside San Ysidro, but if this is true, her body has never been discovered. Carol also claimed that just a week after killing Wilma, he took the life of a woman whose name he couldn't remember. She was strangled and buried as well. Carol later said that they had been unfaithful to their husbands, which reminded him of his mother and sparked his urge to kill them. Those harlots. Wow. <laughs> well, how does he know they were unfaithful? Uh, wedding bands. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. That's a dead giveaway. Or it's just a woman that doesn't want a guy to try and pick up on her. Does, do they do that? Sometimes. Oh, that's smart. Mm-hmm. You want to be left alone, you know? Kind of reminds me of this really smart idea that, uh, that I've seen people try to do at parties is a certain solo cup color means something. I'm taken. I'm married. I'm single. And it was like red, purple, green, yellow there's cups. purple and green? And... Yeah, there's all kinds of solo cups. And... I only seen red, blue, and yellow. Because you don't know how to live. Evidently not. So, I'm not playing enough beer pong, evidently. Well, you're too busy fucking around with people in toilets. So, <laughs> but like one cup signifies. So like if you're single, ready to mingle. Ready to mingle. And you, know, you would see like red taken, red taken, red taken, yellow. Hey, I'll go say hi. I think that's smart. Yeah. Really cuts the riffraff out of it and the embarrassment and the letdowns and stuff because... You know, it, it's kind of embarrassing sort of to be like, hey, I'm married. You know, like you kind of feel bad, you know, and, and then you got the other person who is, you know, trying to talk to you, just trying to have a conversation. You're like, oh, okay. You can see him just kind of deflate a bit. And this way, you kind of just avoid the entire thing. Yeah. That reminds me of one time when we went out to drink, you know, in our group that I used to work with, we went out to the bar all the time. Mm -hmm. And a guy tried to buy me a drink and the waitress told him that I was the designated driver so then he proceeded to pay for my chicken wings and then i had to sheepishly look over and go i'm taken sorry and know that he's sitting there watching me eating and wings that he bought for me it was so weird <laughs> Thank, thanks dude if you're listening <laughs> thanks for the free meal or dinner that's cool that man. i bought or that i ate awkwardly <laughs> he's watching me isn't he He's right behind me, isn't he? <laughs> He's looking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so soon after this cluster of murders, Carol was picked up for theft and drunk driving, two of his favorite pastimes. Um, he's not good at it. No, not. But he still does it. Yeah. That takes a lot of courage. Yeah. Yeah. He has a lot of fuck it in him. I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> that boy's got a lot of fuck it in him. <laughs> While locked up, he got a visit from Robert Ring, a homicide detective from San Diego. Detective Ring wanted to know about Essie Buck. Carol wasn't expecting this, but he quickly concocted a story. He said that they partied and had sex that night, but when he woke up the next morning, she was dead, and he didn't know what happened to her. Instead of calling the authorities, he panicked and dumped her body. As one would do. Now, somehow, Ring bought Carol's story... And Carol was released on schedule in March of 1972. Carol's a trustworthy fucking dude. Not Carol. Ring. Yeah. Wow, man. I bet his arrest record is shit. 
Because they'll be like, he didn't do it. He's like, you know what? I believe you. I don't know why, but I do. You're free to go. I mean, there's still charges there. There's still charges you can face. Yeah. Even if you believe. Yeah. Don't don't you go dumping any more dead bodies. You know? Yeah. That's a thing. Mm-hmm. Well, as soon as he was out, he claims he went right back to killing. He drove down near the Mexican border in San Ysidro and befriended two Hispanic women in a bar. He took the inebriated women for a ride in his car outside of town while they continued to drink. Because drinking and driving, he loves to do it. That's his thing. They parked in a secluded area and one of the women got out to take a piss. And when she walked away, Carol finally got to shine with his hammer and he bludgeoned the remaining woman. Am I fucking supposed to say congratulations to this? No. You did it, Carol. Fucking... <laughs> <laughs> It took a lot of practice, apparently. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I guess um, the big hint there is keep swinging. <laughs> Eventually, You'll it'll get happen. There. You'll get there. Yeah. The other woman returned and was swiftly strangled. He buried both of these unknown victims in the desert, neither of which have ever been found. He got another drunk driving charge that summer, surprise, surprise, and spent more time in jail. When he got out, he met a woman named Diana Peschal, Another alcoholic barmaid, which is just his type, and neither was faithful. They what's argued a, all the time. What's a barmaid? Bartender. Oh. Just a female bartender, barmaid. That's like a barfly. No, 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 no. So yeah, neither was faithful. They argued all the time, and they were in love. So in love that they got married in July, only weeks after meeting. Because that's what you want to do, is rush right into it. How do you know that's the one? <laughs> they would cheat and fight and Carol would disappear for days at a time. They celebrated their one-year anniversary with Carol taking off to Nevada with a girlfriend. True love. Is it, though? <laughs> the next month, Carol came crawling back, and Diana forgave him. In August of 1974, the lovebirds decided that they needed a fresh start. Yeah. Something to renew their relationship. No shit. I agree. They packed up and headed east to Sin City, Las Vegas. I don't see I don't see this working. Because there's no better place to improve the relationship of two cheating alcoholics than a city full of drinking and gambling. And it's a nickname Sin yeah. City. Sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not the whole lovely house with white pick a fence type of place. There's, a lot, there's a lot of dumb shits in this little yarn you're spinning here. <laughs> Carol got a job transporting coins from the slot machines at the airport to the downtown casinos, despite being a felon with a history of theft. More dumb shit. And what do you know? He couldn't resist the temptation and took off with a full day shipment of coins, leaving Diana behind while he fled to Wyoming. Well, his fresh start was in Wyoming. He just didn't want to tell He just her. needed that little push, that little extra cushion of money yeah. to get there. I bet that was a lot of money, too. It's all, it's all coin, but we're talking Vegas machines. And it was a whole day's worth. Yeah, that's probably a lot. Heavy, probably a lot, though. True. How much fucking ramen you can get with that? It's oh, a lot of ramen. Man. At least like three. <laughs> Maybe even four. I don't know how things cost, what they cost anymore. Ramen is pretty cheap. I know. It really is. <laughs> well, as much as it was, the coins didn't last long. And Carol took a job working on oil rigs in Casper, Wyoming. He met a woman named Merlene Teepee Hammer in August of 1975. And I guess she had some Native American in her, which is why they nicknamed her Teepee. I would assume, yeah. And I'm assuming she didn't take offense to that, because 
That's what people referred to her as. (laughs) She seemed cool. Yeah. She was wearing a wedding ring, which Carol took note of, but she spent an evening drinking with him and agreed to get in his car for a drive. She suggested the two have sex, but Carol strangled her instead. (laughs) Yeah. That's fuck. No. No, I don't want to do that. There's something else, though. (laughs) Let me run something by you. (laughs) That's the sound of strangling somebody. Oh, that, that? You, you, you have to do that for it to be successful? Uh, well, no, but it's not strangling. That's choking somebody to death. Strangling is... Mm. You gotta grit your teeth and move your tongue around. That's a frightening face you're making. Yeah. I wish you guys a, could see it. It's the last thing they see. Yeah, that's disturbing. Before they're strangled. Please don't ever strangle me like that. I feel like my face is getting red. I've already told you you could beat my head in and spackle my head if you're going to do it. You did? Oh, this is true love. (laughs) With a shovel. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, you said I could. Yeah, just spackle me up with some toothpaste and we're good to go. Gotcha. (laughs) So, yeah, he strangled her and then left her covered with a sleeping bag on a grassy hillside. Her body was found on August 9th, and Carol decided that the next day he should get out of town, heading back west. He ended up back in San Diego and stayed with Diana briefly, before ending up in a detox center after a bad alcohol binge. While there, he still couldn't control his impulse to steal, snatching a $1,500 government check from another patient, which he then tried to cash. He was, of course, charged with mail theft in June of 1976, but he jumped bail digging an even deeper hole for himself. He just can't stay the fuck out of trouble at all. Yeah. Now remember, this guy tested at genius level. This is not genius level shit. Yeah. (laughs) Seems like he drank the genius away. Might have. He was quickly captured and hit with charges for unlawful flight. Both counts earned him a one-year sentence in February of 1977. He stood up in prison. Hey, Carol. He's like, hey, Pete. (laughs) <laughs> they like they know him. Yeah. He as soon as he as soon as he leaves, as soon as he's like paroled and everything, they'll be like, "That was seeing like a fiscal quarter." He's like, "Maybe sooner." Bye. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> uh, he didn't serve the whole year. He was paroled after just two months and fled town back to Las Vegas, making him a parole violator and a fugitive. I guess go for broke, right? The next month, he strangled a prostitute named Kathleen Bloom. Don't go that far. Yeah. He didn't bother burying her. He just dumped her in a random backyard. Her body was discovered on May 14th of 1977. Probably the next day because, spoiler alert, people tend to notice dead bodies in their backyards. Except us. Um, Our grass is high. Yeah, there could be a lot of dead bodies out there. Could be all dead bodies. He's coming in the morning tomorrow. Oh, great. I think you would smell it eventually. And I haven't noticed any smells. So I think we might be okay. That would be the real spoiler alert. Am I right? Because it spoils. Because of the dead body decaying and breaking down. Because of the... Why aren't you laughing? This was great. It was not this great was comedy at all. Gold. This no. Was you, no. Huh. Sometimes you're a real bag of shit. Nuh-uh. Nuh-uh. Never. Fuck you, Erica. Go. <laughs> the authorities didn't have any leads in the case, so Carol was comfortable enough to hang around Las Vegas and steal a car. 
which he was jailed for on July 19th. He's really not good at getting away. <laughs> no, he's not. After making bail, guess what he did? Um, I'm going to say he skipped town. He skipped town again, <laughs> missing his court date in September. Later, Carol. He headed to Oklahoma City, where he met an unknown woman the night before Thanksgiving in a topless bar. Who is in a topless bar the night before Thanksgiving? Exactly. You're a sad person. You're, That's what I was thinking when I was researching this. You're a damaged human if you were sitting in a, in a topless bar the day before Thanksgiving. You're a damaged human being. Well, you got to get it in then. It's going to be closed the next day. I bet people that are in topless bars before Thanksgiving also don't cry at the beginning of the movie Up. <laughs> Like You're just dead inside if you is don't. Wrong. You are a shell of a human. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even the dancers got to be sad, kind of. <sighs> yeah. You think one of them came out like dressed like a pilgrim, but like a sexy, sexy pilgrim? <laughs> <laughs> no, they just came out in like a loincloth with feathers in their hair to be Native American. Twenty dollars, I'll go looking for your maze. <laughs> Got any mead? <laughs> Here's Tanya the turkey. Come on out, Tanya. Yeah. And Carol's like, I'm going to strangle that bitch tonight. <laughs> it's, it's just the perfect storm for awful things in life. Yeah. I was thinking that too. I was like, who the fuck does this the night before Thanksgiving? The night before Thanksgiving in a topless bar next door to an orphanage. <laughs> Well, uh, this woman that he met, uh, they drank and went back to his place and had sex. He later stated, quote, I was really bummed because it was the day before Thanksgiving. <laughs> Maybe it was after midnight. Maybe it was Thanksgiving. <laughs> we pity fucked each other. <laughs> <laughs> now, mind you, he's still married, too. Yeah. So uh, he later stated, quote, somewhere in the middle of our making love. Think that was what was going on. <laughs> the booze kicked in, or else my mind went blank. I can't say which. End quote. Now, to me, it's one of those like it's nicely lit. There could be music. There could be a fire going in a fireplace, not the carpet. You know who I like set fires. Yeah, <laughs> but I think this was he burned more, down his home. I think this was a more of a take it out. I got a fart, spit in my mouth type of sexual thing that happened that night. Well, I don't know that that happened, but when he woke up Thanksgiving morning, November 24th, <laughs> my dick itched like crazy. He found the woman dead in his bathtub, and not just dead. Both of her feet and her right arm had been cut off and were missing. He ended up finding them in his refrigerator, along with a cut of meat taken from her buttocks that was in a skillet on the stove. So, I see where you were thinking that's what might have happened, but he just went completely over left field Damn. from what you were thinking. Yeah. And but didn't remember it. He, I mean, to his credit, he made a Thanksgiving meal. Yeah. He uh, did carve her. Yeah. Yeah. That's awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're awful people. <laughs> just makes me think of him waking up and it's like, uh, he blacked out whenever he would... What was it he killed? The puppy. The puppy. Yeah. That's just awful. That's awful in itself. Yeah. That's things that make me want to cry. <laughs> well, he knew... Which is weird. This is how we are as people. You know, like, it's not even just me. Most of our listeners out here right now, when they heard that, like, they've heard 
So many like, oh, this person's killed. This person's killed. That immaculate butthole. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Seppuku. And they're like, oh, this is interesting. Oh, blah, 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 blah. oh yeah. Hoot and holler laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, puppy. <laughs> he killed a puppy? Mm-hmm. That's right. Because I and first started. a woman up in a bathtub. Yeah, but the puppy. So <laughs> when I first started reading, I was like, this guy's a monster. This guy's a monster. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he didn't remember what happened, so it's possible that he attempted to or did cannibalize her, but it's not known for certain. At this point, why not? I'm going to assume if he had meat in a skillet on the stove, he, was gonna he probably eat. at least tried it. Yeah. It's called exotic cuisine. Sure, if that's what you want to call it. Get into it. <laughs> he knew he needed to get rid of the body, so he finished dismembering her, placing the remains in garbage bags that he took to the city dump where it's presumed they were incinerated. He later said, quote, that day was something else, end quote, which I'm not sure if it was meant to describe that he knew he had taken a darker turn in his murders or if he was just like, man, it was crazy. You should have been there. That day was something else. I, I just think it was like, I don't know, like, like he's sitting there like, yeah. Like, you know, you're sitting at a table in the interrogation room with a coffee and a cigarette. And he was like, yeah, that was a whole to do. Yeah. That was, man. There are days, and there are days, <laughs> I tell you what. Man, had to cut her up again. You know, that whole chestnut. Yeah. That was a crazy day. Man, that was a crazy day. Crazy week, but it ended bad. Yeah, for her. Yeah. So, how was your Thanksgiving, Sergeant? <laughs> <laughs> well, Carol fled Oklahoma City and drove down to Texas, Billy's home state. Hi, guys. He worked in Denver City, which was a dry town, meaning you couldn't get alcohol. There's a few of them there, which is weird because I was stationed at Fort Hood, and Colleen, the city it's in, at least at the time, was a dry county. But uh, on Fort Hood, you can go into the Class 6 and buy booze. Because yeah. technically, you're in government property there, and you can do whatever you want. Well, you can't. There's strict rules. Still, as far as booze go. <laughs> yeah, he knows this, because remember he tried to steal those pistols yeah. from the government? They're sticklers. <laughs> They're doing a better job, really, than the the state police the detectives are doing in this little story. Yeah, they're 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 on top of it. Mm -hmm. They're pretty good about that. <laughs> they're pretty good at keeping count of the guns. Yeah. Well, uh, Carol always seemed to manage to procure some alcohol, and he ended up arrested for public intoxication. When they checked his fingerprints. They found that he was a wanted federal fugitive for violating his parole in California. <laughs> in 40 counties. <laughs> a week later, he was shackled up and sent back to San Diego. For his leaving town while on parole, he was sentenced to six months in jail, along with three years of probation, which was contingent on him finding full-time employment and participating in another rehab program for alcoholics. Be a rehab program for you. Like, that's like a... You need to reprogram your brain. Something's wrong with you. Like it'd be funny if they were like, oh, we need to we need to do your fingerprints." And he's like, "I wouldn't." <laughs> can uh, we just can we let's just that? bypass that? Can we skip that. Yeah, that's not that important. On his fortieth birthday, Las Vegas dismissed his bail jumping charge for missing his court date related to the auto theft. So after serving half of his six month sentence, he was released from jail on June sixteenth, nineteen seventy eight without having to be extradited to Las Vegas. He was free again. Do you think at this point you would know you're a bad person? I'm sure he probably did. That may, It could be like Dahmer. Maybe he was drinking because he was doing this. Yeah, but there are some people out there 
who never really think they always think that they're doing the right thing. They never see themselves as a bad person. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe. I mean, he thought these women were, you know, cheating on their husbands and they were whores and whatever else. But he was married when he... Mm -hmm. So that doesn't make any sense. But they reminded him of his mom. He had mommy issues. Sure the fuck did. (laughs) But I wonder if, like, if he was like, you know, I'm a fucking monster. Maybe. He would have to. You would hope. After the puppy. (laughs) That didn't stop him. Poor puppy. He just killed another kid when he was eight. Oh, yeah, him. I wonder what that puppy's name was. Dead. (laughs) God damn, Erica. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Since he was back in town, he and his wife, Diana, reunited. And it feels so good. All right. Yeah. Musical stylings by William Jones. Uh-huh. You didn't write that song. Song. I could sing anything. Oh, true. True. Nice. Nice. Ha, 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 ha. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> and remember through all this, like I said, they were still married. And, of course, she takes him back, even though he ran away to several different states and been arrested several different times. Like I said, a bunch of dumb shits around here. Yeah. Well, despite his parole requirements, he continued to drink and jumped from one part-time job to another. On October 25th, he was jailed for drunkenness again, hit with another parole violation charge, and freed on $2,000 bond. Just two weeks later, he was arrested again on an unknown charge, but for some reason, the police failed to inform his probation officer. Because... Nobody knows what the fuck they're doing in this story. Oh, at this point, I bet you the probation officer is so tired. <laughs> I, bet, I bet, like, they're like... My wrist is tired from the paperwork, Carol. <laughs> Stop, please. <laughs> Sergeant, did you call his parole officer? Oh, fuck. That was the last one, not this one. Shit. No. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Didn't mean to do that. In March of 1979, he had a hearing for these charges... And instead of throwing his ass back in prison, they just continued his probation, which means he stayed free and continued to drink and be a shitty human being. By the summer, Carol was temporarily employed at an appliance shop. At a bar on August 27th, he met a woman named Bonnie Sue O'Neill, who he brought back to the appliance shop for some hot sex, which he Mm. later recalled as, quote, a night to end all screwing, end quote. And this is an appliance shop? Yeah. In 79? Mm-hmm. Man, like bend over that Betamax and let's go at it. <laughs> yeah, it's no big deal. I just work here. I got the shop keys and it's called a VCR. <laughs> What's it stand for? Oh, I don't know what it stands for, but I got I got like three. Well, I don't fuck. know if VCR <laughs> was out then. Yeah, you heard a radio. You ever heard of something called 8-track? Mm-hmm. Let me track that ass. <laughs> At one point, Bonnie made a no-no and mentioned that she needed to call her husband. Carol saw Red and immediately strangled her. He dumped her body out back and threw her clothes into a garbage bin. Like that. Just like that. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, and he he didn't try too hard to hide her, just dumping her out back. (laughs) At this point, why bother? (laughs) Just leave them where they lay. Nobody's going to care. They're going to let you go. Despite this woman's body being behind the shop, 
Both Carroll and his employers would later say that no investigators ever came into the shop or questioned anyone who worked there. That's top-notch detective work right there. I got to give it to Carol on that one. Where he was like, where were you guys? Where, <laughs> yeah. You, really? What if it was just like, let's see what they do. <laughs> just rolled her out the back door. <laughs> <laughs> He's got like an axe ready to chop her up. He's like, you know what? No. You know what? Yeah. I'm going to fucking hold on. <laughs> just threw her out in the back. It's like he's bad at getting away with stealing cars and being yeah. drunk. He's pretty good at getting away with murder. Yeah, <laughs> he just threw the body outside. I was like, yeah, figure that shit out, gumshoes. Yeah, test your luck. Yeah, I bet you on the drive home, he's going through like everything he's done and got caught for. He's like, I'll be fine. I have a really good feeling about this. On September 17th, 1979, either Carol or Diana had had enough of the other one's shit. It's not clear what led up to it, but Carol strangled his wife to death. Ah, hell. He wrapped her up in blankets and stored her in a closet. Eight days later, a nosy neighbor called the police on Carol because he saw him going in and out from the crawl space under his home. In hindsight, it's probably a good thing, but generally speaking, a neighbor going into their own crawl space doesn't really warrant calling the police on them. No, that is, I mean, I'm not sticking up for Carol, although it's going to sound like it, but that is a nosy neighbor. Yeah. It'd be like, what if, what if it's a leak? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it could be anything. It could be like, I'm putting a dead body in there. Fucking mind your business, lady. <laughs> it could be. Yeah. <laughs> Sit on your plastic-covered couch, watch Murder, She Wrote, shut the fuck up. The cops came and found Carol <laughs> digging out a hole in the crawl space. Not realizing that it was a hole about the size of a body. It was funny. as like he probably was shocked too. Sir, do you want to come out of that hole? Who the fuck called you? <laughs> I didn't even do anything. Well, kind of. <laughs> was it Blanche? It was Blanche, wasn't it? <laughs> Swear to God, she's always looking out the fucking window. I'm coming out. <laughs> well, yeah, they didn't realize that there was anything really suspicious about this hole. So they just took him to the local detox center because, of course, he had been drinking. Of course. Drinking. Jeezy cow, dude. He was released the next morning, but by that time his mother-in-law had found Diana's body in the closet, and the property was covered with police. I'm sure that probably did not smell or look very pleasant after eight days wrapped in a blanket in a closet. Yeah. I bet you he just, like, saw that and was like... Yeah. He just walked away. He immediately backpedaled when he saw the scene. I was like, oh, shit, I'm going the other way. <laughs> you know, if I had just dumped her body outside of work, yeah. it would have been fine. Well, he ended up hopping a bus back to Las Vegas. But Carol shouldn't have worried because Diana's death was declared accidental after autopsy. Accidental. What the fuck is going on here? Her blood alcohol level was four times the legal limit. So it was determined that she had died of alcohol poisoning. They didn't know what to make of the bruises around her neck. Yeah, how could the authorities and a medical examiner dismiss the fact that she was wrapped up in a blanket and stuffed in a closet? The medical examiner's like, this is clearly a case of alcohol poisoning. Uh, she wanted to make herself a burrito. Yeah. <laughs> Women get cold. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but what about the bruises around her neck? I'm a doctor. <laughs> All right, fuck. I guess it's alcohol poisoning. Yeah, I seriously doubt she did that to herself. And let's not forget the hole he was digging under the house and the fact that he skipped town. 
Even if they thought that she died from the alcohol poisoning and he was just trying to get rid of her body, which is possible, they still could have had him for not reporting a death and disposing of a body. But no warrant was issued to pick him up for this. Watch your ass, Blanche. The only person looking for him at this time was his federal probation officer because he left San Diego. Because he was fucking fed up. (laughs) A bench warrant was issued for him on September 27th, 1979. In Las Vegas... Isn't it funny if, like, he's laying in bed with his wife, you know, the the parole officer, and he's like, you know what? (sighs) I love you, and I love our kids, and I want to see them grow up, but I think I'm just going to go kill them. (laughs) I'm so sick of this shit. I think I'm just going to go shoot him. Yeah. In Las Vegas, Carol found work driving a truck for a religious charity, which is the most ironic job for an alcoholic drunk driving murderer. (laughs) That's good. Hide in plain sight, man. (laughs) He was now single and ready to mingle, though that never stopped him before. He started dating an unnamed co-worker, but this didn't stop him from going out to bars and picking up women one of which was a woman named Marie Cushman. She went with him to the Casbah Hotel on November 3rd, 1979, and I bet they rocked it. Yeah. Get it? Yeah. Rock the Casbah. Rock the Casbah. That's good. Sharif don't like it. Rock the Casbah. Rock the Casbah. We're making fun of death. Bah, 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 bah. I That's kinda what feel we do. Bad. That's this what we do. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, he strangled her and left her body in the room to be found by a maid the next morning. Who promptly quit. So, yeah, he didn't even bother trying to hide this one. He just left her where she was. He's just peaced out. Yeah. People described two possible suspects that were seen. And neither looked remotely like Carol, allowing him to slip away undetected again. I don't understand the world anymore. Carol and the co-worker he was dating got married on December 16th, and the two took off for a Texas honeymoon. In early January of 1980, he was stopped for driving without a valid license. Probably because of all the fucking DUIs. (laughs) He's not not even allowed to be a passenger in a car anymore. (laughs) When his name was put into the computer system, the authorities were alerted to his federal bench warrant for violating parole. It's the first time the county clerk out loud said, Motherfucker! (laughs) He was held as a persistent parole violator and ended up at the Medical Center for Federal Prisoners in Springfield, Missouri, I'm assuming because of his alcoholism. Dr. A.E. Miller, more initials for these fucking doctors, Dr. A.E. Miller filed a report in August stating, quote, there is no evidence of psychosis or neurosis in Mr. Cole. Diagnostically, he may be described as a character disorder. That's bullshitatosis. It is unlikely that major personality changes will occur. In this does... What? There's a lot of cysticus. <laughs> he does not appear motivated for any sort of treatment at this time, end quote. So once again, he was released on October 4th and sent by bus to a Dallas halfway house for felons on parole, probably because it was near his brother. He left the house on November 3rd and strangled a woman named Wanda Faye Roberts, leaving her body nude from the waist down in an inner-city neighborhood. She wasn't found until November 12th, and it was discovered that she had been intoxicated at the time of her murder. So, once again, he found a woman that was drinking. On November 9th, Carol struck again, strangling 52-year-old Dorothy King in her apartment. 
She was found two days later, and once again, her death was declared an accident from alcohol poisoning. He keeps getting away with it. He's he's a pro. I wonder if... I don't know why this struck me as funny, but like... Well, you're a fan of the Red String. <laughs> Red String unit on Twitter, if you guys want to follow me. <laughs> and um, I bet... I don't bet. I mean, this couldn't have happened, but like, it'd be funny if... All the little... Um, the murder sites? Nah, or The, the pushpins, the tacks. Uh-huh, yeah. And then they connected them with red string and it said, I love cops. And for a minute they were like, aw. <laughs> he loves us. All right. Well, no, we still have to get them, but Aww. nobody ever says that. And I kind of feel good right now. <laughs> Is that bad? No, it's not bad. It's a thankless job. We should feel pretty good right now. I do. Maybe that was his genius at work. He was plotting him out so it would spell <laughs> that across the western United States. <laughs> and then they feel good for like five minutes and then they hear on the radio, like, we found another one. They're like, God damn it! <laughs> Is that an exclamation point? He's trying to say I love cops and firemen. <laughs> he didn't know how we'd get there. <laughs> he was trying to make the most elaborate, like, I love cops and firemen and all first responders in the whole entire world. Not even America. You're all great. Like that many pins. <laughs> <laughs> and then the cops get mad. They're like, it wasn't just for us. He's a dick. <laughs> I thought this was like a Now personal... we really got to get him. Oh, I'm going to kick his ass. <laughs> well, then on November 30th, around midnight, two sons and a girlfriend of one of the two went to their mother's house, 43-year-old Sally Thompson. After several minutes of knocking and rattling the doorknob, a strange man opened the door. He smelled like whiskey and seemed disoriented. The boys pushed past him and found Sally face down on the floor next to her couch with her jeans and underwear wadded down by her ankles. They ran to a neighbor's apartment and called police. When the police arrived, the stranger was still there, standing next to Sally's body. Police took him in without resistance, and the stranger was Carol Edward Cole, who lived just two blocks away. He fucking stood there. He stayed right next to her body. Every time it's been a little less. A little more carefree. Then he's just like, yeah. A little more carefree. So they, they ran next door. He's like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I wonder you... what they'll do if I'm just standing here. <laughs> Think they'll notice? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know he's drunk. You know? <laughs> and he's like, you know what? When they show up, I'm going to stay in the corner. Put a fucking lampshade on my head. I'm going to see what happens. <laughs> I didn't do it. I just, I heard a thud and I came in to check on her. She was laying on the floor and I just stayed. It went like this, like, hey, where's our mom? I didn't kill her, if that's what you're saying. <laughs> you want to call the cops? Call the cops. Good, you pussy. I'll stand right here. Go ahead. <laughs> they were like, okay. And they did it. Well, during questioning... Carol said he and Sally met at a local bar, surprise, and she invited him back to her place for sex. He said he had started to undress her and she just suddenly collapsed. No signs of violence were found on her body and the Emmy declared her cause of death as indeterminate. They had no choice but to release Carol, but they still had suspicions. At this point, who gives a fuck? If you're going to release him, just fucking release him. He was standing right there. He was standing right fucking there, man. (laughs) They learned that his halfway house was within two miles of the Wanda Roberts murder scene and that Carol had left the house on the night she was killed. 
They also got access to his extensive criminal record, including the strangling of the 10-year-old girl back in 1967, which we talked about last episode. Carol was picked up at his work, a Toys R Us warehouse. Aw, Toys R Us. He was brought in for further questioning. Finally. I heard they're going to stay open, but just online. Really? Yeah, they're doing like an online store kind of thing. I hope so. I saw a sad picture. It was a picture of a gutted Toys R Us and the whole staff. They said, uh, goodbye Toys R Us. We're still family and every employee spray painted their name on the brick. And I was like, that's that's so beautiful. (laughs) I miss all. Did you see the picture of the giraffe with Mm -hmm. the the suitcase? Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. Go ahead. Back to horrible things. There we go. Yep. (laughs) Erica fucking go. (laughs) So during the questioning, he repeated his story about Sally's sudden collapse and admitted that he had had a casual acquaintance with Wanda Roberts. He said that they had had an argument the night she was murdered, but he had no idea who killed her. It wasn't me. I don't know what happened. At some point in the interview, the detective that was questioning him, Detective Gerald Robinson, was called away to an officer-involved shooting. As if Carol was disappointed to be dismissed, he started spilling the beans. He told him about a woman he had picked up from a Dallas bar and killed in her home. The detectives realized this description didn't match either Sally or Wanda, so they asked him to start from scratch and tell them about the woman in the bar. His reply was, which one? Dun dun dun! That there is a red flag. (laughs) Throughout the afternoon and evening of December 1st, Carol confessed to multiple murders, referring to the women as drunken sluts. He admitted to Essie Buck, Bonnie Sue O'Neill, and his wife Diana in San Diego, and Kathleen Bloom and Marie Cushman in Las Vegas, as well as Merlene Teepee Hammer in Wyoming. He was booked on three counts of first-degree murder in the Dallas City Jail when he ran out of names that he could remember. (laughs) That's a bad sign. (laughs) There was a problem, though. He couldn't be prosecuted for cases where the Emmy had not declared them homicides, which was two out of the three. San Diego authorities declared that Carroll hadn't killed anyone there, with the chief of the homicide unit, Lieutenant John Gregory, stating, quote, The coroner conducted thorough autopsies, and the man would have had to have been some sort of expert to have strangled these women without leaving any bruise marks, end quote. So not only do they not do their job, they're going to stand up for this guy and say he didn't do anything. So, while authorities and medical examiners worked to get the cause of deaths corrected, Carol was examined by psychiatrists and found legally sane. His trial began on April 6, 1981, with Cole being the only defense witness. That was the year I came out. It was. He told the jury about his abusive mother who slept around, and how he had a morbid obsession with women who betrayed their significant others. Quote, I've been killing her through them, end quote, he said on the stand. But he did surprise the court when he added three more victims to his list, two more in San Diego and the dismembered woman in Oklahoma City. He said of the murder in Oklahoma City, quote, Evidently I had done some cooking the night before. There was some meat on the stove and a frying pan and part that I hadn't eaten on a plate on the table, end quote. So I'm assuming he probably thought he'd eaten it. Mm-hmm. The prosecutor told the jury that Carol's alleged cannibalism was just Carol's, quote, Tendency to grossly exaggerate, end quote, as a way to make an insanity plea. Oh, that's what he was doing this whole time? Okay. The jury deliberated only 25 minutes before convicting Carol of three counts of first-degree murder. 
He was sentenced to life at the Huntsville prison on April 9, 1981. His mother died in January of 1984, and he was notified via a letter. Wow, that's the way to be notified. Oh, yeah, hey, your mom died a couple weeks ago. Well, I mean, I would would do the same thing, actually, with him. Hey, remember that woman you don't like? She's fucking dead. Deal with that. The next month, Nevada authorities announced their intent to extradite Carroll for capital murder. He waived extradition on March 30th, hoping to get a death sentence, and Las Vegas authorities went to pick him up on April 9th. He was found legally sane and stood before a judge on August 16th. Hey! That's Noah's birthday. Yeah. He pled guilty to two counts of first-degree murder and told the court, quote, I believe in capital punishment, adding, there's nothing good about me. His penalty hearing in front of three judges convened on October 12, 1984. He was sentenced to die for the murder of Marie Cushman, but there had been no death penalty in Nevada in May of 1977, so he was ineligible for the death sentence for Kathleen Bloom's murder. But one death sentence will do ya. He was transferred to the state prison in Carson City on November 6, 1984. Also on November 6 was the announcement that the prison's death chamber, which had been out of service for five years due to gas leaks, was once again ready to roll. Ready to rock and roll. <laughs> The state voted to change over to lethal injection, so the chamber was converted, which saved them money compared to the repairs needed. Oh, I guess. Okay, sure. If he was executed on schedule, he would have been the first person in Nevada to die by lethal injection. So, kind of weird that the day he's sentenced, they're like, yep, you're gone. (laughs) Carroll resisted all attempts for appeals on his behalf for the next year, and his sentence was affirmed by the Supreme Court. His execution date was set for December 6th. He wrote an autobiography while awaiting execution and gave a Las Vegas neurosurgeon permission to study his brain after death. His last meal was an utter waste, if you ask me. He had tossed salad with French dressing, jumbo shrimp, French fries, Boston clam chowder, and cookies and candy for dessert. So what, what would you, if you, what would be your last meal? Not that. What would be yours? Uh, probably a steak and a potato. Yours is kind of boring. Sour cream and butter and cheese and... That doesn't help. What would you? Hmm. Pepperoni and meatball calzone with buttered garlic bread. Um, beer. They're not going to give you beer. Non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> a double cheeseburger. And a bucket from Kentucky Fried Chicken. John Wayne Gacy style. But mine's bad? Yeah, yours is boring. Yours is boring. You're boring! (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, sweetie. (laughs) That's alright. That was a pretty lame-ass dinner you got, though. Yeah, yours is too, fucker. What do you want me to say? I don't want you to say anything. I want you to shut the fuck up. Bring me a live frog. I'll sear it myself. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? Something better than what you said. (sighs) (laughs) Hate you. You love me. He spent his last hours playing cards with a priest. He lost $20. (laughs) He was given two shots of Valium shortly after midnight and was led into the execution chamber at 1.43 a.m. on December 6th. He was strapped down on the table and had two IVs started. 
His last words were to Mike and Judy Newton, a Las Vegas couple that were writing his biography. It was cookies and candy that they had sent to him that he had had for his dessert. He looked at them, told them, it's all right, and the drugs began to course through his veins at 2.05 a.m. He was declared dead at 2.10 a.m. No one is certain exactly how many women Carol Cole killed. He told one psychiatrist once that he had killed over 30, which I could totally believe considering how many he was able to kill and go on undetected for decades. And just know that if you kill your wife and wrap her up in a blanket, stuff her in a closet, and start digging a grave-sized hole in your crawlspace nowadays, you'll probably be facing some charges. Unlike he did. Yeah, face shit. <laughs> and that's the conclusion of Carol Edward Cole. Bye, Carol. Crazy fucking dude. Bye-bye. And crazy that he could get away with it for so long. Mm-hmm. Like, every step of the way. And, like, no one had any clue. Like, even about the kid he killed back when he was, like, eight. Nobody knew about that until he confessed and said, yeah, that was me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Crazy. All right, guys. So thanks for listening to this episode. But before we finish, I have a couple of shout outs. One is to Crystal Connery, who sent us. Hi, Crystal. Hi. Sent us this, this awesome piece that she made. Um, that she knitted. That she knitted. And it says M.M. Martinez of a cop. And she even knitted in. The martini glass. She even put the fucking olive and the stick in it. You know, yeah, like she really did it up. It's really cute. It's 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 amazing. <laughs> um, and she is on um, her her company is uh, knitted not knotted, not and then K N O T T E D. Yeah, not knotted. Crystal Connery and uh, she's on Etsy. So check out her stuff because I'm going to check it out and as soon as I can, I'm going to buy something from her. Yeah, it's really well made. She's very 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 talented. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Crystal. Crystal. So, thank you. And um, I'll be buying something for you here, from you here soon. Yeah, very appreciated. It was very nice. It was very nice. All right, guys. If you liked what you heard, please get on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and a review. It's one of the best ways you can help us. And uh, anywhere that you can find a place to leave a rating, a review, um, share the word. That's greatly appreciated. And... While you're on the interwebs, check out the other great podcast on the Murderly Network when you have some time and show them some love. You can find all of us at murder.ly. If you would like to be a real baller and financially support the show, please go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash martinis the macabre and make a pledge. Even a $1 pledge gets you access to our patron-only audio each month and a shout out on the show. And for just a few dollars more, you can get some exclusive goodies. And once again, thank you to our patrons, Kirsten, our baller, yo, Amelia, Bonnie, Bridget, Caroline, Chelsea, Christina, Cooper, Corina, Corey, Donald, Dylan, Belfast Grace, Hunter, Jennifer, Kate, Christy, Kristen, Lady Danger, Marie Maxime, Molly W., Monica, Sue, and Vanessa. You awesome snuggle bunnies have our undying love. And you can now make a one-time donation in the amount of your choosing via our PayPal link on our website, martinisinthemacabre.com, near the bottom of the homepage. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Martinis in the Macabre and on Twitter at Martini underscore Macabre. And be sure to join our fan page on Facebook as well at Friends Who Like Martinis in the Macabre. We love interacting with you guys. Feel free to post whatever you like on the pages and to share our post. Sharing our pages, posts, and tweets helps to get the word out, so share away. 
Visit our website, martinisinthemacabre.com, to learn a little bit about us, listen to our complete episode catalog, or to listen to all the songs created by Minimus Noah that we use at the end of each episode. And keep listening because another one will be at the end of this episode. Be sure to find his first official album release called Views on iTunes, Spotify, and many other music providers. His new album is tentatively scheduled to be out in a couple weeks, so be on the lookout for that. For any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, shoot us an email at martinisinthemacabre at gmail.com, or you can use the contact page on the website. Once again, thanks so much for listening. Stay safe, Snuggle Bunnies, and we'll see you in two weeks. I love you. He loves you. Bye-bye. I love you too. Bye. Here's Tanya the turkey. Come on out, Tanya.